File 12 of the LibriVox recording of The Greatest Thing in the World and Other Addresses by Henry Drummond. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Greatest Thing in the World and Other Addresses by Henry Drummond. The Third Address. The City Without a Church. Section 2. His Servants Shall Serve. If any one wishes to know what he can do to help on the work of God in the world, let him make a city, or a street, or a house of a city. Men complain of the indefiniteness of religion. There are thousands ready in their humble measure to offer some personal service for the good of men, but they do not know where to begin. Let me tell you where to begin, where Christ told his disciples to begin, at the nearest city. I promise you that before one week's work is over, you will never again be haunted by the problem of the indefiniteness of Christianity. You will see so much to do, so many actual things to set right, so many merely material conditions to alter, so much striving with employers of labor, and city councils, and trade agitators, and boards, and vestries, and committees, so much pure, unrelieved, uninspiring, hard work, that you will begin to wonder whether in all this naked realism you are on holy ground at all. Do not be afraid of missing heaven in seeking a better earth. The distinction between secular and sacred is a confusion and not a contrast. And it is only because the secular is so intensely sacred that so many eyes are blind before it. The really secular thing in life is the spirit that despises under that name what is but part of the everywhere present work and will of God. Be sure that down to the last and pettiest detail, all that concerns a better world is the direct concern of Christ. I make this, then, in all seriousness, as a definite practical proposal. You wish, you say, to be a religious man. Well, be one. There is your city. Begin. But what are you to believe? Believe in your city. What else? In Jesus Christ. What about him? That he wants to make your city better. That, that is what he would be doing if he lived there. What else? Believe in yourself. That you, even you, can do some of the work which he would like done. And unless you do it, it will remain undone. How are you to begin? As Christ did. He first looked at the city. Then he wept over it. Then he died for it. Where are you to begin? Begin where you are. Make that one corner, room, house, office, as like heaven as you can. Begin. Begin with the paper on the walls. Make that beautiful. 
with the air, keep it fresh. With the very drains, make them sweet. With the furniture, see that it be honest. Abolish whatsoever worketh abomination, in food, in drink, in luxury, in books, in art, whatsoever maketh a lie. In conversation, in social intercourse, in correspondence, in domestic life. This done, you have arranged for a heaven, but you have not got it. Heaven lies within, in kindness, in humbleness, in unselfishness, in faith, in love, in service. To get these in, get Christ in. Teach all in the house about Christ, what he did, and what he said, and how he lived, and how he died, and how he dwells in them, and how he makes all one. Teach it not as a doctrine, but as a discovery, as your own discovery. Live your own discovery. Then pass out into the city. Do all to it that you have done at home. Beautify it, ventilate it, drain it. Let nothing enter it that can defile the streets, the stage, the newspaper offices, the booksellers' counters. Nothing that maketh a lie in its warehouses, its manufactures, its shops, its art galleries, its advertisements. Educate it, amuse it, church it, Christianize capital, dignify labor, join councils and committees, provide for the poor, the sick, and the widow. So will you serve the city. If you ask me which of all these things is the most important, I reply that among them there is only one thing of superlative importance, and that is yourself. By far the greatest thing a man can do for his city is to be a good man. Simply to live there as a good man, as a Christian man of action and practical citizen, is the first and highest contribution anyone can make to its salvation. Let a city be a Sodom or a Gomorrah, and if there be but ten righteous men in it, it will be saved. It is here that the older, the more individual conception of Christianity did such mighty work for the world. It produced good men. It is goodness that tells, goodness first and goodness last. Good men, even with small views, are immeasurably more important to the world than small men with great views. But given good men, such men as were produced even by the self-centered theology of an older generation, and add that wider outlook and social ideal which are coming to be the characteristics of the religion of this age, and Christianity has the equipment for the reconstruction of the world, before which nothing can stand. Such good men will not merely content themselves with being good men. They will be forces, according to their measure, 
public forces. They will take the city in hand, some a house, some a street, some the whole. Of set purpose they will serve, not ostentatiously, but silently, in ways varied as human nature, and many as life's opportunities, they will minister to its good. To help the people also to be good people, good fathers and mothers and sons and citizens, is worth all else rolled into one. Arrange the government of the city as you may, perfect all its philanthropic machinery, make righteous its relations great and small, equip it with galleries and parks and libraries and music, and carry out the whole program of social reform, and the one thing needful is still without the gates. The gospel of material blessedness is part of a gospel, a great and Christian part, but when held up as the whole gospel for the people, it is as hollow as the void of life whose circumference even it fails to touch. There are countries in the world, new countries, where the people, rising to the rights of government, have already secured almost all that reformers cry for. The lot of the working man there is all but perfect. His wages are high, his leisure is great, his home worthy. Yet, in tens of thousands of cases, the secret life is unknown. It is idle to talk of Christ as a social reformer, if by that is meant that his first concern was to improve the organization of society, or provide the world with better laws. These were among his objects, but his first was to provide the world with better men. The one need of every cause and every community still is for better men. If every workshop held a workman like him who worked in the carpenter's shop at Nazareth, the labor problem and all other workmen's problems would soon be solved. If every street had a home or two like Mary's home in Bethany, the domestic life of the city would be transformed in three generations. External reforms, education, civilization, public schemes, and public charities have each their part to play. Any experiment that can benefit by one hairbreadth any single human life is a thousand times worth trying. There is no effort in any single one of these directions, but must, as Christianity advances, be pressed by Christian men to ever further and fuller issues. But those whose hands have tried the ways and the slow work of leavening men one by one with the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The thought that the future, that any day may see some new and mighty enterprise of redemption, some new departure in religion, which shall change everything with a breath, and make all that is crooked straight, is not at all likely to be realized. 
There is nothing wrong in the lines on which redemption runs at present except the want of faith to believe in them and the want of men to use them. The kingdom of God is like leaven, and the leaven is with us now. The quantity at work in the world may increase, but that is all. Nothing can ever be higher than the Spirit of Christ, or more potent as a regenerating power on the lives of men. Do not charge me with throwing away my brief, because I return to this old, old plea for the individual soul. I do not forget that my plea is for the city, but I plead for good men, because good men are good leaven. If their goodness stops short of that, if the leaven does not mix with that which is unleavened, it does not do the work of leaven, that is, to raise something. It is not the leaven of Christ. The question for good men to ask themselves is, Is my goodness helping others? Is it a private luxury, or is it telling upon the city? Is it bringing a single human soul nearer happiness or righteousness? If you ask what particular scheme you shall take up, I cannot answer. Christianity has no set schemes. It makes no choice between conflicting philanthropies, decides nothing between competing churches, favors no particular public policy, organizes no one line of private charity. It is not essential, even for all of us, to take any public or formal line. Christianity is not at all carried on by committees, and the kingdom of God has other ways of coming than through municipal reforms. Most of the stones for the building of the city of God, and all the best of them, are made by mothers. But whether or no you shall work through public channels, or only serve Christ along the quieter paths of home, no man can determine but yourself. There is an almost awful freedom about Christ's religion. I do not call you servants, he said, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. I have called you friends. As Christ's friends, his followers are supposed to know what he wants done, and for the same reason they will try to do it. This is the whole working basis of Christianity. Surely, next to its love for the chief of sinners, the most touching thing about the religion of Christ is its amazing trust in the least of saints. Here is the mightiest enterprise ever launched upon this earth, mightier ever than its creation, for it is its recreation, and the carrying of it out is left, so to speak, to haphazard, to individual loyalty, to free enthusiasms, to uncoerced activities, to an uncompelled response to the pressures of God's Spirit. Christ sets his followers no tasks, he appoints no hours, he allots no sphere. 
He himself simply went about and did good. He did not stop life to do some special thing that should be called religious. His life was his religion. Each day as it came brought round in the ordinary course its natural ministry. Each village along the highway had someone waiting to be helped. His pulpit was the hillside, his congregation a woman at a well. The poor, wherever he met them, were his clients, the sick, as often as he found them, his opportunity. His work was everywhere. His workshop was the world. One's associations of Christ are all of the wayside. We never think of him in connection with a church. We cannot picture him in the garb of a priest or belonging to any of the classes who specialize religion. His service was of a universal human order. He was the son of man, the citizen. This, remember, was the highest life ever lived, this informal citizen life. So simple a thing it was, so natural, so human, that those who saw it at first did not know it was religion, and Christ did not pass among them as a very religious man. Nay, it is certain, and it is an infinitely significant thought, that the religious people of his time not only refused to accept this type of religion as any kind of religion at all, but repudiated and denounced him as its bitter enemy. Inability to discern what true religion is is not confined to the Pharisees. Multitudes still who profess to belong to the religion of Christ scarcely know it when they see it. The truth is, men will hold to almost anything in the name of Christianity, believe anything, do anything, except its common and obvious tasks. Great is the mystery of what has passed in this world for religion. End of File 12